Hey, good morning. We are in 1 Peter, alright? So if you take your Bibles, turn to the back section of the New Testament. You're going to be in 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and then we get into the, you know, the end of the Bible there. But we're in 1 Peter this morning. It's so good to be with you today. Uh, as that video was playing, I took a sip out of my water. I have to tell you kind of inside information of what happens here occasionally. Um, I always sit my water in the back on the table, and I kind of come and go and move around the congregation a little bit. And then um, a, a few weeks ago, I went back, grabbed the water, and then opened it up, assuming it was mine. It was in the similar location. That Yeah, that's probably the one that I left. And I took a sip, and then just, just one of those things. You know, the second you take, I was like, oh, there's lipstick on that water bottle. And so, uh, no worries, this morning it was still a sealed bottle and I'm all good to go, okay? But sometimes those things happen. And uh, as we talk about living hope, uh, I'm going to try to tie this in. Uh, Talk about living hope, we're going to all hope that we're drinking out of our own water bottles this morning, all right? Uh, Our friends Joe and Courtney are in Europe. They're on a, a trip over there. It is not a mission trip. It is nothing other than them having a glorious time together uh, in Europe right now. I'm not certain if they get to go see this place, uh, but I've heard a number of things about it, and you have as well. Uh, I want to ask them if it's one of their stops. It's the Leaning Tower of Pisa. You've all heard of this, right? Uh, it is not famous because of its height. It's only 179 feet tall. It's not famous because of its architecture. There's plenty of Romanesque uh, built architecture in the area. It's only famous for one reason. Why? It leans, it's falling, and it, it, by centimeter by centimeter, they say that it, it is going to fall, and it's just an amazing, uh, arch- like the fact that it can even stand at all is nearly impossible. In the last 10 years, they've done some work to try to slow the process down, but it's falling, and it's constantly falling. It was built in 1173, and so it's been around for 840 years, and it falls 1 20th of an inch every year. Uh, so you... What we're going to talk about today, and we started this process last week when we talked about having a living hope, what we're really dealing with here is a foundation. Uh, by the way, the word Pisa is this leaning tower, is the leaning tower of Pisa. It's, it means marsh or marshland. Or, uh, you know, if you've, have you ever lived in an area with a marsh? Uh, I grew up in, or didn't grow up, I grew up here, but I went and lived in South Carolina for 10 years, and we lived in the Hilton Head Beaufort area, which is where they filmed uh, Forrest Gump and like Bubba Gump Shrimp and all of that. And so you have this marshland, and it's just really difficult uh, to build on that type of foundation because it's just a very weak, like you can't dig a basement because you're going to hit water if you dig in the water. And there's just a lot of things that I didn't understand uh, while we were living there, we'd been married for just about a year, we decided to uh, buy a house, and, and as the property markets were moving and changing in that area, a lot of building was going on, it was actually cheaper for us to build a house than it was to buy an existing house. And so we built our very first house, we were 22 years old, and we built our own house and had it customed out and did everything as we wanted to do it. Uh, I don't think that I'll ever have that opportunity to do that again. Anyone ever had a house built for them before? You ever gone through that process before? Uh, you, you get to choose the siding on the house, and you get to choose the kitchen cabinets on the house, and they give you, first the, the builder gives you a price for this is what the house will cost, and then you go in and you start to customize things, they say, oh, well, that's your baseline, you know, if you want actual sinks where water come out of it, we need to update a little bit higher, you have to add, a, you know, add bonuses to that. And so you add these things, and you get it all situated, and you get it all figured out. But one thing they never asked us, ever, at any time, they, they said, okay, here's your price for a house with a foundation. Here's your price for a house 
uh, without a foundation. Or this is the house foundation that's, that's going to last you three to five years. This is the one for, you know, 50 or 100 years. You, never, you don't have that option, and you shouldn't have that option. Would you agree? That, that's not an option. That wasn't one of the selected options. It wasn't like picking the vinyl on the side of the house. It was, this is a much more important thing. The, the foundation is never optional. It is the most important part of the building. As we talk through First Peter here, as we look at this, this series of living hope, the foundation is not optional. The foundation is Jesus Christ. It's written by the author, as we saw in the, in the intro video here, the author of Peter. And his name means rock. He was given that name by Jesus. His name was previously Simon, but Jesus gave him the name Peter. He was one of the earliest followers of Christ. He was one of the earliest ones to say, I will go wherever you go. I will follow you no matter what you do. and what I, I will be with you no matter what. He even said it to the point of, Jesus, I will never leave you or forsake you. And what does Jesus, it turns around and he says, well... You know, before the morning, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. But Peter, he, he was going to follow after Christ and follow after him in a ridiculous way. Last week, we looked at this verse on living hope. It's, it's chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is kind of where we get the name for the series. Through the living hope, uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The foundation of his faith, the foundation of all that Peter has and was and is, is this living hope, and it builds from there, and the rest of the book follows this basis. So a living hope, there is an old situation where Peter was. He was brash, he, he would do all kinds of uh, insane and crazy things. He was the first one to step out onto the water and walk on the water to Jesus. He was the one when in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus was in danger. He was the one who tried to cut off the head of the, the soldier and caught his ear. And Jesus picks up the ear and slaps it back on the guy's head. Like, like he, was, he was brash, making difficult and crazy decisions and doing it too quickly without thinking about it. But at the end of the day, his life is forever changed. And when we look at him in Acts, as we studied Acts, if you remember, Peter was the one who spoke at Pentecost and 3,000 people accepted Christ that day. God used him. There was the old Peter and the new Peter. And the new Peter was driven and propelled forward in a way that you could only hope that you and I could, could experience as well with this living hope. Has anyone seen the movie or read the book? I'm, I'm reading the book because I haven't seen the movie, The Life of Pi. Anyone seen this? You've heard of it anyway? Okay. The basis of the story, uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to give you a little bit of the story, although I haven't even finished it myself. The main character, Pi, he's forced to relocate a zoo to Canada. Uh, he has to go across the ocean due to changes in the Indian government. They're going across the ocean and there's a shipwreck. Uh, a few days into their journey and the, there's a storm and it sinks. Pi is able to get into a lifeboat. Uh, and he, he survives the shipwreck. And, and to his surprise, after a little while, he finds that in the lifeboat, he pulls back the tarp. And beneath the tarp, there's what? A Bengal tiger. Him and a Bengal tiger on a lifeboat out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, he is eventually rescued. And he recounts the miraculous story to the Japanese officials who, uh, that bring him in. And at the end of the day, what ends up happening is he tells them the elaborate true story of what the miraculous story of, of how he survived, and none of them believe him. 
So he makes up a second story so they would at least believe uh, what happened. He just totally makes the thing up and they agree with that, even though that wasn't the truth. That wasn't really what happened. But it was too good of a story to be true. They couldn't believe it. The gospel is a story of living hope that for many is that story that's too good to be true. The gospel is too good to be true. But when we look at this, the New Testament authors were convinced of that truth. Jesus Christ was really God in the flesh. He really lived sinlessly. He died shamefully, and yet He rose again victoriously. Now, anyone who has faith in Him now can, can have faith in His righteousness, His holy, and become an adopted son or daughter of God. That's the gospel. That's the story. That's too good to be true. But that is where living hope wells up inside of us. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He caused us to be born again into the living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Born again as if you had never been alive before. Let's look at this. In 1 Peter chapter 3, I need to open up my Bible and make sure I'm looking at the same spot. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, I keep saying that. Jesus had told Nicodemus that he would have to be born again. Christians have a hope that the unbelieving world doesn't understand. Christians have a a hope that drives us forward, that propels us forward, that that gives us focus that the world doesn't understand. Our family went through the very difficult season of being in the hospital day after day after day in an ICU situation with our son. And you watch people go through that next to you, in the bed, in the hallway next to you, all of those things. And, And the realization that comes over time, you realize there's something different inside of me that I cannot explain. There is a hope that pushes me forward that God is in control that is not in the hearts of those around me. And when you realize that, you realize the responsibility you carry, the light that you've got in you, the hope that pushes you forward, it is your responsibility to do all that you can to give the others who are around you the same hope. Christians have hope. Unbelievers may not have the same hope. So there's something different about you. There's something unique and different about you in a crowd of thousands of people. There should be something different about you. So today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about living in holiness, daring to be different. Verse 14 of the same chapter, chapter 1, verse 14, says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, that's a nice word, 15, but he who has called you is holy, so you also be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You will be different, you will be set apart, is really where the definition of the word holy comes from, being set apart, set apart, does that sound like? Middle school gym class to anyone? I don't know if being set apart is something that I'm really excited about. Hold the phone on that. Because if, if I'm set apart, that means that I'm different. And there's some problems that we have with being different. Here's the problem with being different. First problem, we value conformity. We value conformity. We don't want to stand out in the crowd. We don't want to be perceived as being odd or weird or different. We prefer to conform. We would rather not be unique for the most part. It's not something that we love. There's a television show called What Would You Do? A lot of times it shows on Saturday evenings. Everyone's, have you seen this before? It's like a Dateline type of approach. So they have these hidden cameras and they set up different scenarios 
And, and the question is, what would you do? And they set up different awkward scenarios to see how people who are not in on the cast or, or the actors, who they're not in on it, how would you respond if this was happening to you? Here's three different situations that I've seen or I've read about that they were given there. First, there's a, a bouncer uh, who's denying people entry into a club based only on their appearance. So he's standing at the door and he is just belittling people and making them look small and tiny and insignificant, condescending to them. And there's other people standing there in line with them. And so if you're that other person in line, they are not in on the gig. There's other people standing in line and you go, what would you do? You know, how far does this person need to go to belittle the person standing next to you before you step up and say something or do something? Here's a second situation. On a sidewalk, three teenagers beat and taunt a homeless man in front of people as they are passing by. What would you do? And you look at these scenarios and you can watch, if you want to watch the show, and just see how people eventually will respond. But most of the time, we choose to be conformist and not do anything. The third one, so I think is a little bit funnier. Uh, there's a flamboyant hairstylist and he destroys women's hair in a hair salon and just absolutely horrifically destroys their hair. And, that, and while he's doing it, he's telling them how wonderful they look and how they're going to, you know, and the, lady, the other ladies in the, in the shop are not in on it. And so the question is whether or not will they actually, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, will you actually say something like, no, no, that does not look good. I'm sorry. You know, no, you will not be on the cover of Time Magazine with that haircut and for, for a different reason, maybe. Uh, would you say something? Would you do something? We, we really, as people, we value conformity. This is a problem for us when it comes to being different. Secondly, we visualize a caricature of holiness. A caricature. You ever go to, uh, to Darien Lake or somewhere else where they will draw like the cartoon face figure? Like the, there's like this oversized head uh, that they draw and it like... They, they take all of your features and they accentuate them. So if you have a long nose in the picture, you'll have a really long nose. Or if you have big eyes in the picture, you have enormous eyes. And like, they just they overdo it. And what ends up happening is sometimes we, we look at holiness and we have this caricature of what we think holiness is. Now, if I showed you a, a picture of myself, a caricature of myself, you would look at that and say, well, that's not you. That's not Milo. It looks kind of like him. It's a funny version of him. It's a distinguishable, I can see the character traits there, but it's not actually him. And some of you are looking at the caricature of holiness as if that is what holiness is. We like the idea of it, uh, but we don't like the holier-than-thou attitude that we assume that goes with holiness. Uh, we disdain spirituality and behavior that puts one on a pedestal because they say, well, you put them up on a pedestal in front of everyone else. That's, that's an approach that we don't like. We don't like the way that people act. And we know that Jesus despised the Pharisees because they had this accentuated caricature of being holy and that Jesus didn't like them. So if I act holy, then Jesus wouldn't like me either. And so we're afraid of what we have kind of built as this drawing, this pencil figure of what holiness is. We misunderstand, next one, what it means to be holy. We misunderstand it. Living a life of holiness, it conjures up images in your mind and in my mind of living in a, uh, as a monk or, or in, in a um, monastery, a, a, a total separation from everyone else. You got that in your mind, or maybe more of a fundamentalist approach where it's just a life of do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs, and you try to make everything black and white when the world that we live in is not black and white. And we, we look at those people and say, you have pulled yourself away from the world that the rest of us live in, and that's not 
for me. But that's a misunderstanding of what it means to be holy. And so we're going to talk about that here today. What is holiness? If we are going to be honest, the genuine, authentic character of being different is none of these things. It's more than that. What does it mean to be different? What does it mean to be holy? First is this. It, it means that we think differently. It means that we think differently. This is verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Some of your versions have the words, gird up your loins in here. Like the, the relation, the idea of setting yourself, getting ready, preparing your minds for action. How many of you girded your loins this week, men? Do you know what I'm talking about, first of all? If you don't, my friend Dan Davis has given you, me an instructional uh, uh, caricature, essentially, uh, um, in my office on my wall of how to gird up your loins so I can see it on a regular basis in case I need to loin gird myself at any point during this week. Uh, during this time period, men, and they still do in that part of the world, wear uh, long toga, even like dress-shaped uh, Outfits? Is that the right word? Outfits? I, would, I really doubt that these men would like me to call what they're wearing as an outfit. But anyway, nonetheless. So it's a, a long cloak. If you're going to gird up your loins, you're going to prepare yourself for battle or for work or whatever. They would, they would reach down. They got this like skirt looking. They'd reach down, grab the, the fabric from behind and pull it underneath and then tuck it into their waistband. And by doing that, they are creating basically a pair of pants out of their skirt. And they gird up their loins and they tie it together. And now they are ready to go into battle. Now they are ready to, you know, go out and cut some hay out in the field. Now they are ready to put a roof on the house because they're not going to get their skirt all bunched up, right? They are girding up their loins. They are preparing themselves for action. The modern day, maybe an easier translation would be, hey, we're going to roll up our sleeves and get to work. But we're going to gird up our loins. We're going to prepare ourselves, prepare your mind for action. Being sober-minded, thinking clearly, morally decisive. It's, it's more than just not being drunk. Uh, studies show that our subconscious minds is actually what does govern our bodies. And so we have to be aware of the fact that what you're doing subconsciously will lead you to do other things as well. If you walk in the darkness in your mind, it is going to be very difficult for you to walk in the light in your life. Preparing yourself in the same way that they would prepare themselves for battle or in the same way that you and I would prepare ourselves to go to work in the morning or prepare yourselves to do work around the house. There's a preparation that must be that your mind, you're, you're getting your mind ready, being sober-minded sober that you're going to walk out into real life and do some things, but you're going to do that because you've prepared yourself for that. A Christian should set his or her hope on the coming of Jesus Christ, thinking hopefully, preparing your mind hopefully. We're in a long-distance race, not in a sprint. One day, being able to see Jesus Christ should be our motivation. At the end of the verse there where it says, uh, your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you when? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
So you are setting your mind to the hope that one day you will be there with Jesus Christ. The preparation has occurred so that now I can press forward, I can move forward with the hope that one day I will stand face to face with Jesus Christ. And I have lived my life accordingly along that way. I've walked in the light. Secondly, it means that we act differently. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed. There's that word again. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. The natural outgrowth of right thinking is right living. If we have spent time preparing ourselves and thinking about what God has for us to do with today, with this week, with this year, if we have put time in our minds to do that, then uh, we have prepared our hearts to then go out and actually live that out. We begin to live a distinct life. Life. Henry Thoreau, he was a New England individualist in the 19th century. He was once sent to jail rather than paying his poll tax to a state that supported slavery. He didn't want to pay his taxes to a state that supported slavery. So he was thrown into jail. During this period, he wrote his essay, Civil Disobedience, which many of you have heard of. Thoreau's good friend, Ralph Waldo Emerson, hurried to visit him in jail. Peering through the bars, he asked him, Henry, what are you doing in there? What are you doing? You know what his response was? Ralph, the question is, what are you doing out there? He believed in something so strong. He had thought about it. He had prepared his mind enough to say, this is what I need to do. But his actions had to follow suit. Do you see that? He had prepared his mind, said, this is, this is a situation, this is you know, slavery or something I'm not going to support, and so therefore, I need to go to jail if that's what the case may be for my beliefs. Not what are you doing in there. It's what are you doing out there? Why aren't your actions matching up with what you say that you believe? The world doesn't understand holiness. We have to show them. They don't understand it. People that you work with, people that you live on the same street of, they, they don't understand it. You have, to, you have to demonstrate that for them of what that looks like. I grew up with the bracelet, the WWJD bracelets, right? The whole premise behind that. What would Jesus do? How would he act? How would he live? How would he walk about in the world that we lived in? He showed the world holiness. In Matthew 5, Jesus talks about there being a city on a hill, the light that cannot be hidden, that there's, there's something drawing and compelling us to that, that it should not be hidden. There should be something different about that. If you imagine, though, a, a lighthouse with some broken panes of glass, some dark spots in there. We, we have a few dark spots along the way. And part of the Christian life and growing as a Christ follower is understanding those dark spots and realizing that those replacing those pieces of glass is part of the process of sanctification and, and replacing with more holiness. This process creates hope as we do that. So we need to live differently, thirdly. It means that we have to live differently. So first we are thinking differently. Second, acting differently. Thirdly, living differently. Verse 16. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. 17, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver as gold. 19, the, the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 
what Peter's doing here. So let's take an honest look. Let's take an inventory of what you really have to offer. He calls them your futile ways, or he calls it your perishable things. And, and really, he's saying, you're in the bullseye. That's the old life. That's the old you. That, that basically needs to be set aside. Why? Because that's, living in that life is really being in the bullseye of God's anger for you. Because you are not living with what He has called you to be. If you're going to walk into the dark, uh, and you're going to punch holes in the darkness, and you're going to stop the darkness around you, you have to realize you've got to cut out the past. Before, you didn't know any better. Now, you do. That's what Peter is teaching here. Before, you had your way of doing things. Now, you know better. Now, there are some living differences that you need to have in your life. There are people you used to hang out with that are just not good for you to hang out with anymore. There are internet sites that you used to visit that you really have no business being on or near anymore. There are books that you, are, that you used to read that now you ought to leave. That's what living looks like. Did you know that the word word N-O is a very spiritual word? You need to be able to say no to many things and say, you know what? That was the old me. The new me doesn't live like that anymore. My sister and brother-in-law just moved to Asheville, North Carolina. In Asheville, there's the Biltmore Estate. Anyone ever heard of the Biltmore Estate? It is the largest privately owned house in the United States, built by the Vanderbilts, uh, has 250 rooms. It was built in the 1800s and has central heating throughout uh, the building. It is an amazing place if you've ever been there. It costs you a fortune to go visit, but maybe you should go. I, I got to go in college. I was singing in a choir that did a Christmas concert there, and so they gave us a tour of the place, and then we did a concert afterwards. Uh, so I got to see it there. Uh, if you go through it, there's 65 fireplaces uh, in the place. And so, like, this thing is massive. And there's some astronomical number of bathrooms. I can't remember what it is right now. I didn't write it down. Um, but this place is beautiful. It's gorgeous. If you go and you go on the tour, or I got to be on the tour, and you go room after room after room, but at some point, they don't allow you to see all 250 rooms. They tell you, it says on the pamphlet, there's 250 rooms in this house. And you go through, and you, but you don't get to see all of them. The tour only goes so far. Uh, and if you ask your tour guide, you know, there's, there's a, a rope across the room, and if you start to, like, and if you're like me, you kind of, like, want to peek in there and see what's in there, and you realize, oh, well, this room... You know, this is just where they store boxes and stuff. Like, it doesn't actually match up with the rest of what they've updated. And, and the tour guide will tell you, well, you know, that basically is a room just like the room you're in, so we haven't redone that. But if you'd like to come back for a bonus round later tonight, we can double your cost, and, you know, you can come back and you see it all over again, and we'll take you into those rooms too. What's the difference there? I'm a tourist. I'm not a resident. I'm a tourist. I'm not a resident. But when you receive Christ into your heart, He is not a tourist in your house, your heart, your life. He is not a tourist. He is a resident. He lives there. He wants access to every single room in your house. He wants access to see your conduct throughout. And in this verse, what it says, it says, uh, knowing that you were ransomed in futile ways. No, nope, i got to go back farther. 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. 
It does not say to conduct yourselves through most of the exile. Conduct yourselves well during the first portion of the exile or through three quarters of the football game. No, it says throughout the exile. And the whole idea of the exile is this is a bad time. But you are supposed to conduct yourselves. You're supposed to live differently throughout. And as Jesus is in your heart and in your life, he is asking for access throughout your life. There should not be dark spots, blind spots, areas that he is not able to be. It means that you live differently. Next, it means that we love differently. Jumping to verse 22. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. Love sets us apart. Love is the display of holiness. Love is the litmus test for Christ's followers. They will know we are Christians by our love. Love is the litmus test. You remember that, right, from chemistry? where you take the little piece of paper and you drop it in, it turns one color if there's different elements that are present in that. It is the litmus test. You can say that you're a Christ follower, but if you do not love, the litmus test says, well, at the end of the day, I'm not sure that those elements are present in your life. That is the litmus test. It's not just any kind of love. It's a sincere love. It's genuine. It's authentic, like God's love for us. It's deep. It's intense. It's fervent. It means to be loved with all of our strength. It's, it's not just a feeling. It is the matter of all that we are. It's pure love. It's spotless. It's clean. Men speak about loving from the heart. It's particularly about Valentine's Day. We, we try to scratch something out for our wives that's like, man, I really love you a lot. It's about the best we can do, right? My heart beats blood for you. But God speaks realistically about loving from a pure heart. The, the, the love that we, we learn in Scripture is different. The same kind of love Jesus talked about in, in John thirteen thirty five when he said, if you love me, let me read it for you. By this all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Loving one another sincerely, deeply, purely. And people will know that you are what? You're different. You're different. They will know that you are a follower of Christ. It means that we love differently. The next one you may not have seen coming. It means that we diet differently. Let me explain what I mean by that. Now we're in chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter is looking at our diet. He's pointing it out. He's pointing out foods to remove our diet or foods to introduce. Let me explain. Uh, Foods to remove our diet. This is the list from verse 1. He lists wickedness, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. In, in terms of a diet, these are junk foods. These would be uh, that you have no uh, nutritional value. These are empty calories. They need to be removed from your diet. The Atkins diet or the South Beach diet both attempt to remove many of the, the carbs and different things that you have in your life and replace them with better things, with proteins. With You say, we've got to remove this junk 
and we're going to replace it with others. So if we're going to introduce foods, they are these. Pure spiritual milk. If it's pure, it's going to be not diluted. It's, we're not going to lessen it. We're not going to uh, taint or pollute or weaken. You know, I grew up on a dairy farm, so I like to talk about milk, right? We have pasteurized milk. We have homogenized milk. Uh, we have skim milk. We have whole milk. We have 2% milk. Even whole milk, it's not really, I mean, it's not really milk. Some of you may drink soy milk or rice milk. I mean, stop pretending, people. It is not milk. We're talking about pure milk. Pure milk has to come directly from the cow into a cup. That is pure milk. That means that nothing has been added to it. Nothing has been taken away. It has not been altered in any way. That is pure milk. What, what's the benefit of milk that we've always been told? Milk helps us grow what? Strong bones. Anything else? Teeth. And mind? Oh, yeah, sure. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I agree with you on that. At least bones and teeth. Your mind will eventually catch up, I think. All right. So it grows your bones and your teeth. It also gives you vitamins. It gives you immunities, those type of things, right? Our spiritual diet should also build spiritual bones. Should build a structure, a skeleton. Peter urged us to drink from the pure and nutritious word of God, the Bible. He's saying, if you do that, you are able to build yourself a skeleton in which you can then grow off of. Does that make sense? Like, the building the strong bones, you're building a, what, a foundation. The Leaning Tower of Pisa, remember we started there? You're building a foundation by which you can then grow. You've seen TV commercials, whether they're infomercials or, or just quick 30-second commercials where they're, there's, uh, they're showing uh, third-world countries where there's children in these third-world countries that are malnourished and they're, they haven't had anything to eat. And what do you notice first? You notice that their skeletons are, are visible beneath their skin and then their bellies are, are, are pushing out because they haven't had enough to eat and their body is forcing against itself. But you see their, their bones and their bone structure. And unfortunately, that's the reality of many of our churches and many of you and people, you and I today, is that we are spiritually malnourished and our skeleton is all that's left and it's weak. George Barna just did, this is a couple years old now, 2013, but did, did the research about biblically illiterate or least Bible-minded cities in America. You know where a lot of them are? Within the top ten New York State has, I believe, six out of the top ten. Number one being Albany. Number four being Syracuse. I think it's number five is Buffalo. We're malnourished. Are we drinking the spiritual milk of God's word? The pure spiritual milk. God... He wants to build a strong skeleton that will then support our spiritual bodies. And to do that, we've got to quit, quit eating junk foods, foods that are full of empty calories, have no nutritional value. Put that aside and move forward to God's Word. Because that is where our source is. So we're daring to be different. When we talk about holiness, and we're talking about being set apart, it is being different. We dare you to be different. How many of you are real good at taking a dare? I'll give you an example. I thought you might want one. 
Uh, Monday, yes, I'm going to tell this story, Ryan. Monday, I got to go to uh, a, a party that Dan put together, the Labor Day Challenge, he called it. had a few friends over. We had some different games, different events. Uh, it was fun. We enjoyed it. Uh, some people got trophies for being able to, you know, suck a M&M on a straw and move it to another thing. And, I mean, it's very talented stuff that was going on there that day. But, meanwhile, while we were there at the family property, the Cook family property, uh, there was a rope swing that had been put in just recently. And this rope swing was on the side of a 30-foot bank. Yeah? Yeah, Ryan doesn't care how big it is. Yeah, 20 to 30-foot bank. You have to, to hold on to the rope, and you can barely get to it. The edge of the cliff, I'm going to call it a cliff because it makes a better story. At the edge of the cliff, uh, you stand at the edge of the cliff, you reach out as far as you can just to grab the handle, and then you have to step off swing at a 45 degree angle over the fallen tree and then release at the right time to throw yourself 20 feet in the air so that you can land in the water without hitting the tree on the other side and splash in the water. Then you get to climb up the 30 foot bank if your body has survived the crash into the water back up to your friends who are standing on the side. So, I was dared to give it a shot. Ryan, because it was his house and his place, went first. He showed us all how it was done. I said, listen, I know like, you've got to see how it's done because it's, you know, it's pretty good. So he, he takes the bar, he steps off, he jumps, he swings way out over the water, over the tree, and then all of a sudden he loses his grip and kind of flips and spins sideways, lands directly on his face in the water, and the life jacket that he had blows up into a gajillion pieces. Not a gajillion, probably three. But then he stumbles his way back to the top of the bank and says, who's next, right? And I had talked this thing up. I had already seen what we were up against. My kids are now all there. And they're like, dad, you know, dad. And you're like, guys, men, you've got a Superman you know, ass on your chest when it comes to your kids. I mean, this is probably why Ryan went in the first place. His kids were there. So my kids are looking at me saying, Dad, you're next, right? And I'm going, girls, but I don't know. You just saw Ryan just blew his whole body up. And, and now I'm supposed to give it a shot. And so we went through the afternoon. I, we, there's a group of us were able to convince each other that there was a, a malfunction in the way the rope was tied and we were going to change some things and we, we made some adjustments. And so... Of course, we made the adjustments, and about an hour and a half later, we said, okay, we're going to go for it again. Ryan, you go first. <laughs> and Ryan did it again, and it was better that time. It, was, it wasn't great, but it was better, but the new system that we came up didn't work. So, like, three, third try, we got another, another rope. We tied a different thing and set it all up. Ryan, will you go? And he went first. And that time, he flew beautifully and, and landed in the water. So, he dared the rest of us to give it a shot. He had proven it three different times, or maybe more, that it can be done. I'm going to tell you what, in a world of not being a conformist, it was more difficult for me to step back and say, you know what, not today, than it was for me to take that rope and jump. That, in that situation, it was very difficult for me not to be the one going and jumping. A couple other guys went, and at that point, I'm going... Man, I don't know, I got to preach Sunday. You know, I, you know, I kind of need my eyes. If I hit the water like he did, I'm not sure if I'll ever see again. Um, 
it was just very difficult for me. Mike, he jumped. He got himself out there. Someone took a picture of it. He thinks he has a concussion from it. Um, th- listen, guys, this was a very awesome and dangerous thing. And some of you are going, yeah, I want to do it. Yeah, you might. You might change your mind when you're standing there looking at it, too. If everyone is doing it, it doesn't mean that you should do it. If no one is doing it, does it mean that you're the first to jump? I'm not sure. But I dare you to be different. Living a life of holiness, I dare you to be different. Do you think differently? Do you act differently? Do you live differently? Do you love differently? Do you diet differently? Are you aware of what it looks like for you to live your life differently from those around you? Some of you may be here this morning, and I'm speaking to the in crowd, if you will, because I'm talking about this as if you were a Christ follower. You may be here today, and you're going, I've seen someone around me. I've seen one of you. You have lived differently in front of me, and I have seen Jesus Christ through you. That is the largest, biggest testimony you could possibly have. And we look at the life of Peter. That's what you see in Peter's life. You see someone who unequivocally lives his life differently. And there is a living hope that just wells up inside of him because of that. Are you willing to think, act, live, love, and even die differently when it comes to your life? Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it speaks to us, Lord. It makes us uncomfortable. Passages like this say, I'm not sure that I want to be different. I'm not sure that being holy is an easy thing, is, is, is the right thing for me, but God, I look at your life. And you, there was not ever a time that you weren't willing to live differently. Jesus, you were as different as they come. And we thank you so much that you were. Because you are unique. You are the only one who is the Savior. You are the only one who would be willing to put yourself out there. To die on the cross for each of us. Lord, and you, through Peter's words here this morning, are calling us. To yourself, calling us in a way to, to be holy, to, to be like you are, different. So Lord, as this challenges hearts here this morning, I pray that, that each person here would be taking individual, personal steps of what that looks like, because it's not the same for everyone. It's not the same. Lord, being able to take steps towards what they're letting their eyes see. Lord, the relationships that they are involved with and are not involved in. Lord, the emails that are sent this week or the text messages that are not sent or the places that they will drive their car this week or the conversations that will be held over the phone, Lord, or will they be willing, as we talked this morning, to love, to show love? Will that be the litmus test? And if there's one here today who, who can look around the room and say, this is a place where I have seen the litmus test that this Jesus is different. Lord, I pray that that would be the most compelling and attractional thing that they have ever seen. 
Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit is here this morning. It's alive. It's active. He is touching hearts here today. Lord, I pray that he would prompt movement today. Movement being coming forward, praying here. Or movement being writing something on a connection card. Movement being taking a step from just being a regular attender to being someone who volunteers and serves and gives back. Lord, let us be a people who dare to be different. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.